Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And uh, I mean, I love good compliments. How about you? Anybody else out there would agree with that? Uh, okay, let's just do a little. Uh, Melissa had us up participating just a minute ago, but this may be just as awkward as all get out because you might not know who's to your left or to right, and you're going to have to make something up on the fly. But just look to somebody right around you and give a compliment if you don't mind. It's good to see some smiles and some laughter. I have, a, I have a sense that maybe the range of the quality of the compliments varied greatly, okay, in terms of sort of what was given out, and we sort of played that little game over here in, in our, uh, our uh, triangle with uh, Chuck and Steve here. But, but what makes a good compliment? A lot of things. How something is said, what is said, when it is said. And some compliments, frankly, are just worth more than others, okay? Even when the same words are used. And they're worth more because of the one who gave the compliment. Well, in the Gospels, have you ever thought about this question? Who did Jesus compliment? Well, there's a passage in the Gospel of John where Nathaniel, an Israelite, he says, in whom there is no guile or is no deceit. There's the widow, he compliments, who gives her last might. There is Mary who anoints Jesus' head with expensive oil, and he affirms her devotion. There's John the Baptist When Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Well, there's also a major, major compliment that's given in today's story, in the reading that Don just provided for us in Luke chapter 7. The story is about this centurion. This, this man of some status and his rank, we might say, according to uh, today's um, or to military measures, that he would have been uh, a, a, a captain or a major, commander of a hundred men, a man of some wealth, and a generous man with his wealth and a well-regarded man. So the centurion is, is a remarkable character in some ways, particularly since he's a Roman soldier. And one of the centurion's servants is sick and about to die. And I would say he's unusual for sure in the type of care and compassion he's extending to this servant or this slave. The slave had no property and no status. And I suspect that even that kind of care from the centurion to his servant was not very typical. But even more than that, this centurion was loved by the Jews. And I suspect that would have happened even less, that the Jews loved a Roman, 
a rare scene in that day. However, because of the centurion's actions, he had these strong race relations. And his friends really go to bat for him, his Jewish friends. And they want to help him out because he is worthy of being helped in their view. Verse 5 of our text says this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. The centurion did this for the Jews. So the friends of the centurion begged Jesus to come and heal this man's servants. And I suspect the conversation went something like this, you've got to go help this man. He deserves it. He's the kind of guy you need to help. Regardless of what's going on in your schedule, Jesus, how busy you are, I know, but you've got to make room for this guy's requests. And so in our text, you can see that Jesus does respond. He gets the message, and he went with the messengers. And he got fairly close to the centurion's place when more messengers from the centurion's house came to Jesus and they said, here's what the centurion's message is, you don't need to come. Don't come to me. You don't need to come to me particularly as if I'm important or because I deserve it. And while everyone else was saying, you've got to go and help this man, the centurion's message was completely different. So we see his remarkable humility. Here's how the text unfolds in verse 6. So Jesus went with them, but he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Go ahead to our, our next uh, verse. But that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. And then he says, Centurion to Jesus, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Verse 8 For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. And I tell this one go and he goes. And that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant do this and he does it. And all of this backdrop that I've given thus far. This scene setting. Leads to this compliment from Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, for those of us who have been in the series for a while, we know that as we've been going through Luke's gospel, 
you might recall how often Luke has, writes down these words of where people are amazed with Jesus, with his healing, with his actions, with his teaching. And here, for the first and only time, we see Jesus amazed. She was on the other foot. Jesus marvels. Wouldn't that be something to be on the receiving end of this compliment? For just a moment, let's hold up the centurion as a role model because this man models what Jesus desired to see and ask ourselves, can we be like him? Or maybe said a different way, what prompted Jesus' compliment and could you receive one too? Well, our text tells us that the centurion understood authority from his own experiences. And he saw authority clearly in Jesus. And that word authority, I was talking about this with Jeremy a few weeks back, that just mainly scares us these days. It's not a word that we see and would, would kind of get a whole lot of good vibes from. What do I mean? Well, the centurion saw this healing power in Jesus. And maybe more than that, maybe what the centurion saw, in spite of the fact that he's a Roman and he's looking at this Jewish teacher, he saw the Almighty in Jesus. That is, the Almighty is the God of heaven and earth, the God of creation. You see, the centurion says to Jesus, but say the word. That word is much like the word all the way back to the book of Genesis and the early words of the Bible where we have this God who spoke a world into existence and made something out of nothing. And just like the God behind all of this universe that can create at the power of His voice and say, let there be light... And there is light. The centurion seems to associate this type of power to Jesus. And Jesus says, I haven't seen this anywhere. This guy gets me. This is real faith. I mean, here's a theory. The idea that Jesus was God in the flesh, fully God and fully human, might seem commonplace to us or even natural in the way we think about it as believers, but it was a stumbling block to many of the Jews who had this monotheistic view of God and to put Jesus in the same category 
as God just didn't work well for the Jews. However, this centurion gets it. In other words, the centurion saw Jesus for who he really is, not simply a rabbi, not simply a healer, nor a prophet only, but a deity. One who possesses the power and authority of God. Having the ability to do what you say you can do. So rare in a world where there's so many promises without delivery. So maybe that centurion gets his real identity and his real capabilities. And that's why verse 7 says, that's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Do you see the status? How he recognizes this, this aspect of Jesus' identity? That maybe we even begin to take for granted. And then he says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Embedded in this text is both an understanding of authority and an understanding of Jesus' worth. He understands the power of Jesus' word. Do you remember just a few weeks ago, well, last several weeks, we focused on the previous chapters in this book, in chapter 6, and there have been some challenging teachings of Jesus. Somebody reminded me of it this morning, said they were, they'd missed last week, and then they listened to the message and wished they hadn't. As we talked about, do not judge and what that means. And we looked at this idea of it's all about a merciful and a generous God and how we, how we need to treat others with great mercy and generosity. We need to forgive. We need to love our enemies. We need to pray for those who oppose us and mistreat us. Jesus teaches us to do us what to do even when we are offended. Remember that lesson from a few weeks ago? Well, some of you might have missed the story, but you remember the story a few weeks back of me talking about going through the McDonald's line to get the Diet Coke for Becky and how the car in the other lane who didn't know the rules of alternating the two lanes in the drive-thru brought out the worst of me. Well, De Becky relayed that just the other day, she's going through this line. Same scenario. The car ahead of her refuses. Refuses to take their turn. Just buries their bumper into the car ahead of them. They would not let Becky in. So she finally pulls in behind the car, and she should have been in front of it, and she's looking at the offender's car, and there is not one, but multiple stickers, bright and bold, Jesus is Lord. 
She tells me, now I can't quite envision this scene, but she put her head out the window and says, Jesus is Lord! (laughs) Would you know there is a sobering call out in the section just previous to this section of Scripture in Luke 7? where Jesus confronts his listeners after his great, great teaching. And in Luke 6, verse 46, the section just preceding this, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. These are hard and haunting words that, like our passage today, are about identity and authority. And Jesus is saying, many of you are saying and you're hearing my words, but you've not been putting them into practice. And here's the problem. When the winds come and the rains come, as they inevitably will, you will be destroyed. And somehow with such little background, This centurion understood what it meant, what it means that Jesus is Lord. Unlike the many who claim his name, the centurion had already arrived at the end point of Jesus' teaching and healing and messaging even before hearing about it. He understood his true identity. And he refuses to understate what Christ can do. He can heal my servant at just his word. What's our response to all of this this morning? I think the centurion leads the way in a lot of areas of our life. Because the taproot of all of this is right there In our text, Jesus calls the man, the centurion, as having great faith. Now, I've been troubled by that this week because I don't have anywhere near the type of faith that the centurion displayed. I want it. I need it. 
but I need some help with it. This sense of trust that his deepest need could be answered by calling on Jesus. I think about how this passage so aligns with another passage of Scripture way off in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, and we'll be finished. I want you to hear this. Now faith, see the centurion had great faith, is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. And then I noticed this in the text, verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I thought to myself, there it is. This is what the ancients were complimented for. And so it comes full circle. The centurion says, but say the word. And my question to you is, do you too want to be complimented? Then I want to invite you into your deepest needs your most difficult needs, your most, the most desperate areas of your life to entrust full confidence that Jesus is Lord. I think when we do that, you will be amazed with Him And guess what? He'll be amazed with you.